Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Athletic Development at Connaught Rugby, Dave Howarth. Thanks for tuning in to episode 239 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I'm speaking to Dave Howarth and it was absolutely great to chat with Dave. So Dave's got a unbelievable story coming from Australia but moving to the US because of his US wife and getting a job at Sparta Science, obviously in the commercial um, sports tech world. Then doing such a good job at Sparta to get a, a job offer at Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA. So then I spent some time there and then more recently moving over to Ireland to be with Connaught Rugby in the Pro 14. So a super interesting journey for Dave and we obviously get into the chat of the differences between working in the NBA to work in a commercial environment to working in Irish rugby. Differences in cultural aspects, differences in what you're able to do, what you're not able to do, interaction with players, and a lot about his his experience at Sparta, obviously being a force play company, and how that has driven and been involved in sports tech, and how that's driven his decisions when he has had a budget of his own in a professional environment, how that's driven his programming um, and his decision-making off the back of that technology. So really interesting chat with Dave, who's an absolutely superb guy. And um, it's, I'm sure this episode will be one you'll absolutely love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by the University of Notre Dame, an Australian Catholic university who are excited to host their second annual Human Performance Summit. This year's focus will be on moving past the barriers that limit the integration of performance teams. So the Human Performance Summit, the performance team puzzle, will be held in the beautiful University of Notre Dame campus on Friday, June the 21st and Saturday, June the 22nd. Rather than hosting individuals to speak on generic topics, there's a focus on bringing in performance teams to speak on how they operate through success and failure. So each one of these presentations will be followed by an intimate question and answer portion and then tying everything together with a 90 minute practical session. It's something that I've spoke to loads of people about recently and people are finding less value in repeated presentations at conferences, but more value in the conversations that go on the hallways. So both Friday and Saturday night, they'll be hosting an event on campus with activities geared towards sharing an organic discussion. And it was these events last year that proved to be the highlight of the conference. So if you're interested in getting to know more about the conference, I've put a couple of links in the show notes, which will take you to the presenter list and more information on the conference itself. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So I Measure You is used by leading biomechanist researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. So I Measure You recently released IMU Step, which is a dual sensor and app for lower limb load monitoring uh, and helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So unlike GPS, AMU Step focuses on lower limb musculoskeletal load and works via two very small synchronized high frequency tibia one sensors which quantify three things. The intensity of each step an athlete takes, precise left and right lower limb asymmetry and cumulative tibial load. So IMSU is now part of Vicon and works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world. So if you want to get more information and know more about IMSU, 
head over to the website imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Dave Howarth. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I'm delighted to welcome Dave Howarth, who is the Head of Athletic Performance at Connacht Rugby. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Thank you for giving up your Friday evening um, to have a little chat. Not the whole evening, but a little bit of it. <laughs> um, any, anyone that doesn't know who you are, I just want to give us a bit of a uh, an intro to yourself, background, what you did before you went to Ireland, because clearly that accent is not Irish, but there's, uh, there's been quite a journey to get there. So it'd be really interesting to, and we'll dig into the, a lot about that later on, but just a bit of an overview of how you got to Connor, um, and why you're able to give up your time on a Friday night. Yeah, sure. Um, look, I, I heard my voice recorded the other day and I couldn't even figure out where I was from. So I, I guess, um, I mean, originally I was born in Australia, um, a Sydney kid, I sort of grew up there and, and spent a bunch of time there. Uh, initially, I was a, a really average rugby player coming out of school, but had dreams of grandeur and trying to play professionally, uh, which was a massive struggle. So my my first job, which is, is really, uh, I mean, I guess it's an interesting story. I was a greenkeeper for eight years. Um, I worked on golf courses in Australia and in the US for a short period of time, uh, which is where I, w- I met my lovely wife, Danielle. Um, I met her in Florida. Oh, years ago now, but um, you know, I got two great kids together. Um, when I uh, finished up playing rugby, I, I just sort of I, I knew I wanted to be in sport. I, I loved being in sport. I loved rugby. I knew I wanted to be around the game. Um, I'd had some exposure to SNC coaches, um, sort of randomly in the US. I, I'd gone over to the University of Miami with some friends of mine and got an opportunity to train with some of the boys and see the gym and. Um, when I went back to Australia after that, I really threw myself at, my, at gym work. And when I was giving up footy, I had a, had a few mates who just said, oh, look, if you want to be in coaching, maybe think about the S&C side of things. Um, so I was, I was 26 when I went back to university and did my, my sports science degree um, and started chasing jobs. I, I happened to uh, meet a guy named Dave Boyle over in Sydney, and I, I'm sure most of your Aussie listeners will know Boyley from uh, from around the, the around the shop. He's um, he's a great guy and a, a big figure in the ASCA. He was a huge influence on my career and spent time with him at the Waratahs and Australian Rugby Union and um, worked with a, a club over there, Northern Suburbs, and, and just sort of as I was studying, kept on pushing that way. Um, I guess you know some of my my education um, is is currently going on. I'm doing my PhD with Aaron Coots at UTS and being co-supervised by uh, Blake McLean, who's over at the OKC Thunder where I worked, and uh, and Dan Cohen, uh, who you've met before. He's one of my supervisors as well. So um, yeah, long track. Uh, there's obviously some bits in between there as well. Um, but yeah, heading over to the, the US, I guess, um, was sort of the, the biggest decision. My, my wife's from Florida and, and we decided um, just after my daughter was born, crazily, uh, to move to the US. And we moved to South Carolina to chase a job for her and to give me an opportunity to be in country over there and, and start looking for some jobs. Um, and that was that was a big turnaround for us. <laughs> that was a, a big change. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that but that was to chase. So that 
you'd been the green. Were you a greenkeeper at that point, or you'd? No, I'd, I'd given up greenkeeping at that point, and I'd moved to Sydney to chase coaching. Um, so yeah, I, okay. I was living in Sydney again, and and uh, Danny and I had sort of set up shop there, and and I was going to university up there, and um, I was working with it with a bunch of different teams and, and doing different things. So. Working with, uh, like I said, with Boyley at the Waratahs and, and the ARU, but also with, um, uh, there was an MMA gym in Sydney that I was working with and, and training fighters. I was working with Surfing Australia and, and Jeremy Shepard for a period of time and training surfers as well and sort of putting all these pieces together. There was even a, a stint I did there to, to get some money when, when my daughter Zoe was first born. I did uh, six months as a medical sales rep. And uh, spend time in in clinic and in surgeries, watching pieces of spine be put back together and cages put in, and um, it, was, it was pretty wild. Um, but what, I think that whole that whole mix of of different jobs, different sports, um, different outlooks around that that same sort of area, that that same area of performance or human wellness, and um, and exercise which was a lot of what gave me a good relationship with doctors and and what gave me a, the connection with athletes you know that that training side of things helped give me like a, a really diverse viewpoint on on this thing that that we call you know strength and conditioning and sports science so what was the first job in the u.s that you, that you landed so well after six months in south carolina I, I landed a job with sparta performance science over in california um I was introduced to Phil Wagner over there by uh, a couple of mates of mine, uh, Tom Tomlinson, uh, a few people might know, and uh, he linked me up with Phil and, and he was uh, good enough to create to give me a role over there with those guys and, uh, and worked in Menlo Park with them for very close to two years anyway. And one thing that I'd, I'd written down there was Obviously, you were wanting to get a, a role in the US, and the, I'm just thinking back to, or thinking back to conversations I've had with guys over here, and and wanting to move to the US and looking for jobs out there, but they're still living here, and I'm guessing that makes it so difficult for someone to actually take a punt on on a, a candidate when they're not actually in the country. How, how? I mean, I know it took you six months to actually get that role, but how important was it for you to actually be in the US, given that you wanted to work there rather than stay in Sydney and apply for jobs? overseas and 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 not go all in because you clearly went all in by moving to the other side of the world how important was it for you to be on the ground there saying give me a job yeah i think i guess the the feed forward part of that when you do apply from so far away you don't get you don't get that that feedback so the feed forward part for me was when i was meeting people eventually that that is a huge hurdle is actually being able to be in country and and go and interview for jobs and and know the landscape and understand the the position that you're in. I, I'm really lucky. My wife's American, so I, I had a green card going over there. She wanted to be uh, back at home for that period of time. I, I say she did. We wanted to be there for that period of time, so we aligned on that and and made it happen. But it certainly had a, a huge. It was a huge benefit uh, to being there. So. Um, there are jobs and, and you see guys going over there who, who sort of come from outside the country and make it in and get those roles, but they're so difficult to get and it's, it is a big hurdle, um, in my opinion anyway, to, to get those roles. Yeah. So what role did you have with Sparta? Was it a commercial or was it 
advisory? Was it account management? What kind of? It was sort it? of. It was a bit of everything. At, at the time, Spider was growing, so I coached on the floor and and coached you know high school kids, collegiate athletes, pro athletes, you know the full spectrum of guys. But then I was also lucky enough to be able to do consulting work with pro teams, uh, you know football teams, basketball teams. Uh, a rugby team at the time as well, which was was really exciting for me. Um, but then uh, also working in with um, with colleges, so college programs like Kansas is a big partner of theirs, and being able to um, to work with those guys and understand the landscapes and the the environments that they were working in, and seeing how the the technology that we were developing there at Sparta from the you know the the force plate analysis, the movement signature. That, uh, that Phil had developed and then the, the program that, that followed in behind it, um, you know, the, the management system that followed in behind it, that was, um, it, it was really eye-opening. So I guess my experience with Sparta gave me much more than just that private side. Um, it really gave me exposure to, um, to those big-time environments, which was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So how important was that for your next move? So that was with OKC with the next move. Yeah, so okay. yeah, I, I I think it was critical. You know that you don't um, you don't get recruiters sort of hunting you down without having some sort of experience at that level. And um, you know, I was lucky with the OKC job in that they were looking for someone to take over for Dwight Daub, who'd been there for eighteen years. Um, he was he's a vet, a legend in in basketball strength and conditioning, and. When I moved into that role, it was under the proviso that I'd be essentially mentored by him for a year, and um, it was a, the best thing I'd, I'd done at that point. It was it was fantastic to to go in there and and learn from Dwight and um, sort of work my way into the NBA and work my way into that environment with someone who'd navigated all those tricks and traps. And um, yeah, it was it was a phenomenal experience. Mm-hmm. I know I've spoken to a couple of people on the podcast who have who have either been in pro sport and then moved into a commercial, not a commercial role, but a commercial entity who they were employed by, and then moved back. And I've also spoken to people who have been kind of a little bit umminaring, like dipping the toe in with when they leave professional sport to go into these commercial roles. But I think, and I've I've done exactly the same thing. I think it be, can be so such a positive experience moving out of pro sport but still been involved like you were at Sparta. You're not you're not um, led by these organizations, whether it be NBA or NFL, but you're still there. You're still in that environment and you dip in, dip out. You build some amazing networks and these kind of things, you help people along the way and these kind of roles come up. So I think they, they can be super interesting and really good for career development to be in them what I would call like a commercial role to be able to then get back into the, the, the pro scene. Would absolutely. you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, that was one of the strengths for me and, and one of the the best parts about working at Sparta and, and working with Phil was his perspective on that as well. I mean, he'd been collegiate side for a long time. I can't remember the exact number of years he was with UCLA, but his perspective on that and the way that he ran that that place was highly professional it, it really geared us towards these professional environments which made you know for each of the guys that I worked with there and, and who have worked there you know since and, and moved on to bigger and better things as well um, you know we we were 
prepared really well to go into or go back into sporting, you know, a, a true sporting environment and go and compete, um, run programs, work with other staff, have to communicate uh, with guys up the chain and down the chain. You know, we, we often talked about how how do you get and keep your seat at the table within some of these organisations and have really good information to share um that was a really important part of sparta and really important part of phil's recruiting process for us that we were able to do that and the mentorship that we had through that and then the opportunities he gave us to go and work with um with these other teams it it sort of shaped what came next for me and and what's sort of still going on now and, and what i'm able to you know the luck that i have in being able to still work in pro sports is you know based on that experience just explain that a little bit more because we spoke about it last week about keeping your seat at the table. Just explain that for for any, anyone that's kind of a little bit confused with that. that yeah, that line. I, I think, you know, when we when we think about these things in as strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists, you know, physiotherapists in that in that medical and performance world, it's it's very easy to get stuck in our silo in in our in our own little structure. Um you know, as an SNC coach, it's it's really easy and, and comfortable to get involved and, and really stuck into the program and the reps and sets and the, the percentages or even your analysis and how this is pulling together. And it's nice for us to be there and, and we feel really comfortable. The hard part is to go and transfer that to the rest of the organization and, and contribute on that level. Um you know, to, to be able to make an organizational contribution to really, you know, not just pushing a player or, you know, the speed of someone forward, but to be able to push a whole organization forward and share, you know, your insights, your perspective and, and have it in a, um, in a format or in a way that they can identify with, that the rest of the organization identifies with and you can understand where they're going. All of a sudden, your program starts driving a whole place forward or at least you feel like it is that the table i guess that this figurative table that that i'm talking about is that connection with um your commercial team or your your marketing team your um your media guys you know not just not just your coaches even but at least with your coaches you know that that table um is a is a really important one to be at um if you if you really want to win <laughs> yes yeah. you know like, yeah. and we all do we all want to be part of that um you know and and as long as you're not having to be out the front of that win you know <laughs> that's the that's the beauty of it right you get to contribute um but you also get to watch these these athletes go out there and and revel in their success because they're really well resourced they they have everything that they could possibly need to be able to succeed the coaches have a, a great canvas in that the players that they they have out there are, are the right ones for the, your organization you've recruited really well you've retained the right people and you start to see um, more and more success for your team and for your organization so while you were at OKC how did you how did you integrate with other members of the organization like you say media commercial all them kind of people were you able to do that and what did you get not this is the not this was the purpose of it but what did you get back in return in terms of your knowledge in terms of your you know the program being built having got in touch with these guys and and communicated with these guys and understood these guys yeah i i think um you know probably my my first my first two 
you know, relationships outside of my department in uh, in OKC were actually with the the head for media and the head of operations. And I, I what I wanted to understand was what is the what is the global strain on on these humans? You know, because we are we we do deal with stress and we have to try and create training adaptations for them. And there's a lot of things that are outside of our control. Um, and the, the more that we can understand that, the more that we can we can sort of affect their training program around it and and affect their readiness and availability around it. So um, I got to know those guys, and, and I'm sure I mean everybody will have seen well a lot of people will have seen that the media demands the public spotlight that these you know these incredible athletes are under um and and the amount of pressure and strain that puts on them to have an empathy for that and to be able to have that understanding allowed me to communicate with the the athletes so that the gift that i got back from going and finding that stuff out and asking those questions was that i was able to communicate with an with the athletes on their level um so I, I'm never going to truly understand what it's like to have a million Twitter followers. Like that's that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what it's like to have a hundred. But um, the 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 part that I that I could understand was that this took an immense amount of time and it was really important to them. And on a league level, it was a driving factor. So that the NBA. Um, there was a, I remember reading the position statement from, from, uh, I think it was David Stern at the time. He, he's saying like, this is, uh, we want these players to be accessible. We want to make basketball an accessible game for the public, for them to be able to, inter- to, um, interact with the players and really understand what they're, what they're doing. And just to take that for a second and think about that before you, you're giving out about this guy who won't, you know, won't necessarily, doesn't necessarily want to come into the, the weight room and train and, and just being able to adjust, but also being able to hold him to accountable and uh, hold him accountable and say, I get that. I understand where you're at there. I understand that that's important to you, but this is important to your career. So a lot of my, my conversations with those guys wouldn't be around what, what are they going to do today or tomorrow because they know what they're going to do. They're probably going to play a game, but what do you want to be doing in three years time in five years time you know how ambitious are you is this a 15-year career for you and if so what are the things that that I'm seeing that I can help contribute to that and um it it made it it was it was a really good um environment for me from that perspective were you able to amalgamate the two as in like almost pull these guys in with the the lure not lure but the the um, yeah, I suppose it is the law of of helping them on their on what was important to them outside of basketball. So, do you know what I mean? Like with with their 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 own commercial entity, because they're all big, huge brands in themselves. Yeah, it's, I mean, I like to. I'd like to think that I did in some occasions. You know, in, in some places, I, I'd be. I'd be foolish if I was sitting here saying like oh, I nailed it every time. Like yeah, I really connected with every guy. There, there were there, there were guys who I didn't get along with that well, and I wasn't able to reach. And I and I reflect on those things, and I go, geez, if I if I had an opportunity to do that again, I, I might try and do it differently. But at the same time, yeah, I do think there was a couple of guys who I, I was able to help them with with little things outside of just their their playing career. Um, you know, or just outside of just their performance on that uh, at that moment, and it, it it's little things, you know, little things that 
SNC coaches do. Like we're we're all sort of disciples of discipline in some way. You know, we, we all talk about what's what's the um, the commitment, what's the sacrifice that you have to make in order to be a little bit better tomorrow and the next day and over a number of years. And if you can just prioritize this over this other thing, maybe you'll reach your goal. And those are those are universal principles. They're not just about lifting weights or recovery, they're, they're about everything and, and teaching guys to prioritize on this thing where they have someone to really hold them accountable and, and hold them up to a level that they need to be. Um, it, it, it sort of, it, I, I do believe it can move into other parts of life. On the other hand, you get guys who are just sort of a bit beyond that and all you do really is piss them off. <laughs> yeah. I know I've pissed off my fair share of people in, in that time, but I, I, have always sort of taken the time to try and explain to them why why we're doing this and that that's been a big thing for me in my career and you know especially now as a as a parent you know I'm starting to realize you, you've got to have a why. You've got to at least be three deep in your why. So, <laughs> I've got a seven-year-old, so it's not good enough. The, the surface-level answer, answer isn't good enough. You need the second why and the third why. If you can get to three, then at least you can turn around and say, well, what do you think now? And <laughs> then you avoid the more questions. But um, that giving them the why, showing them, you know, why it's important to do these things and, and appealing to them on that level um, – I, I feel like I've had some success there, um, but it's not. Yeah, it's never universal. You know that. Uh, <laughs> you know, you just try and reach them. Yeah. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Dave. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss more on the cultural differences between the three countries that obviously Dave's um, home country of Australia, uh, how he worked in rugby over there, and then the States, and then obviously over to Ireland. But we also chat about uh, leadership and the differences in terms of the, the players that are actually in these organizations and how a performance coach or a head of athletic performance whatever that may be how has how dave has interacted with these guys from the nba or from connor rugby and challenged them and kind of let them help him do his job so a really interesting chat coming up in part two uh, obviously some technical stuff in there as well and how he's implemented um jump data into his his daily routines and his his programming but um, a lot of other stuff built around that as well but just before we do get into part two with dave i want to say a big thanks to black box fitness for sponsoring this episode today so black box are a performance gym manufacturer based in belfast in northern ireland so they have uh, projects going on all over the world from dubai to the uk to europe um, so if you are looking for a full gym fit out or just some extra bits to add on to what you've already got, bars, plates, um, you know, under the rack, whatever it may be, have a little look at Black Box Fitness. I've been over there myself to their warehouse. Incredible setup and everything is built on site. So the, the be- benefits of that is obviously you can customize things. You know where it's coming from. You're not going through a third party. So if something's wrong, you're going to the main person, which is I think is a huge thing for if I was going to buy some kit. So if you're interested in getting to know more about Black Box, visit their website at blkboxfitness.com or on Instagram and Twitter at blkboxfitness. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. 
So the Harking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So we're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can do, and you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. So, I just want to chat a little bit about the monitoring systems, given your background through working through Sparta, and just thinking. Then, I think it's really important. It, well, it could be really important for for practitioners to get an insight into these commercial entities, whether it be force plate providers or heart rate companies or GPS companies and speak with the people who are actually employed there and get a bit of an inside view of what's going on because the end user will only see the, the marketing campaign or the sales guy come and tell them what they kind of want to hear. But when you're on the inside, you get to know the intricacies of what is working, what isn't working, what, you know, the, the metrics that we're kind of pushing because they're popular, but are they actually useful? All these kind of things. And It'd be interesting to get your your kind of perspective on how you, how the the Sparta experience has influenced what you've done since then in terms of technology, in terms of what you have invested in and, and what you haven't, and you know the reasons behind that and the the due diligence that you've gone through because of that experience, having known what the inside looks like rather than just the shiny box and the and the marketing campaign. So what so what what have you decided to, to invest in, and we'll go for uh, OKC and, and Connett for you, you know, obviously since since the Sparta days. Just want to explain that for us. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I sort of have a philosophy here and it really did come out of that Sparta experience. You know, we, we as, as employees there, we it wasn't good enough that we just trained and coached. We, we had to learn something about selling as well. I'm <laughs> sure you can empathize yeah, with that. Yeah, absolutely, know, like, yeah it's a very human thing. And, um, there's a book that, that Phil had suggested to us and I, I took to it. It's by Daniel Pink. It's called to sell is human. Um, I was very resistant when I first saw it and when he was first talking to me about it and it took me a little while, but you get into the book and you're reading the messages in it, you know, that there is this, this need to sell. Um, and the, I guess the philosophy underpinning that for me, uh, you know, what am I going to sell is, is simple things. You know, like I, I want to do simple things. I, I want them to be simple, but I, you need to do simple things ruthlessly and relentlessly well. Like you need to be at such a level with the, these simple things because ultimately, as we know, the things that appear the simplest have this innate complexity underneath them. And it's really important to be able to understand that on a high level to hold the integrity of that simplicity. So if it's if it's something like a counter movement jump um, that you're doing, uh, which I do and and I still do, I, I use that at uh, at OKC and I'm using it again here at Connect at, at an even greater effect, I, I believe here, um, you know, as part of our monitoring system. But that the counter movement jump, the importance of the athlete coming and actually giving you effort when they jump, it's not good enough this that they jump. It's it's they have to jump as high as they can 
at that point in time. So the, the simple things around it, like you won't show a, a massive battery of, of um, metrics to an athlete when they're jumping in that moment. They want to see uh, an immediate, a piece of immediate feedback. And if you're in an environment like the one I'm in at the moment, they're going to be competing. So what's the best metric to give them at that immediate point in time is their jump height. Um, so let, let's put that up on a leaderboard. Let's have it up, it, coming up immediately when, when they jump. And let's make them compete. Let's let's see how they let's see how they go and, and compete on that. Um, and we get we get great effort out of the guys because of that. Now, by getting that that jump height, that, that sorry, that maximal effort, what we get is much better metrics on the back end, and we have much a much higher reliability in our in our baseline testing. And then we're we're getting that signal. Um, coming in much clearer and much cleaner and we can start seeing the differences between, you know, a, possibly a fatigue state or, you know, more of an acute fatigue state and then what's happening when they should be recovered later in their recovery cycle. We're able to see where those differences in neuromuscular status are. Um, now, I'm, I'm talking about CMJ and I, I know you've had plenty of guests on here that know a lot more about it than I do, but, you know, that's one part. I guess here in uh, in Connacht, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky in that we have Nick Winkleman as our, our head of athletic performance and science for the IRFU, and they resource us incredibly well. Um, you know, GPS systems, uh, athlete management systems, even gym equipment if we need it. You know, um, things like push band are, are rolled out to all the provinces, and we we have access to all of these things. And I guess within our environment. Our responsibility is to try and keep the simplicity for our athletes, the actions really clear, and the data that we're we're interrogating and interpreting um, to be really, 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 really consistent. Um, so we, we've sort of got a, a, a battery of tests across, you know, from our perceptual wellness tests every training day where the guys come in and they fill in their questionnaire, which is no different to anyone else, but... Um, you know, we, we do that relentlessly and, and ruthlessly. There's no, there's no miscompliance, you know, there's no non-compliance there. That has to happen and, and our leadership group are all over that, our RPEs after every session and um, making sure the guys know what scale that they're, they're meant to be answering on, uh, their jumps twice a week in the morning, GPS for every single session, you know, collected and collated and, um, and reported back. The, the key parts of that being that they get, that immediate feedback, they get their their reports, they're given, you know, an in-depth explanation because I, I think that that's another place where we sometimes go wrong in, in trying to make it simple. Um, we don't respect that, that these guys might need to know a little bit more or want to know a little bit more. So we're always really open and um, sometimes we may over-communicate in, a, in an instance, but at least we, we know we're not leaving anything behind and that, that builds that trust. Um, with each of the players and it, it drives the compliance, it drives the understanding and, and gives them confidence as well. Um, so I guess, you know, like aside from the systems themselves and the pretty packaging on it, there's the there's how science drives you as a practitioner, um, particularly for me as a as initially a strength and conditioning coach, not necessarily a, you know, a pure sports scientist, but that, that sort of coaching mindset always behind it using that technology, using that information to drive my interactions and, and uh, guide my programming and my, my interventions, I, I think there's real power in that, real strength in that. So whatever the, 
the piece of equipment is that you're using, whatever the, the information is that you're getting, making sure that you are, you're using it and, and giving that information and, and having those conversations, that's where the real power lies. How has that experience differed? How has that experience differed across your work in Ireland compared to the work in the US in terms of the compliance, in terms of how you communicate that? Is there a, is there cultural differences? Is there sport differences? I'd love to know yeah. the nuances of of the diff, of, of how things differ. I I think there's definitely a there's there's definitely a, a cultural difference there, um, and I'm not sure I. I I don't know. Like, I'm not sure whether it's because it's America versus Ireland or if it's because of the, the pay that the athletes receive in the two different environments that I was in. But um, we've certainly got a, a really, really hungry and, um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know the word that I'm looking for here. It's definitely a hungry group that we have here at Connacht. You know, they, they have a real desire to get better every single day, you know, to the point where in their values, that's their promise. Like they, they promise to work to get better every single day. Um, they, they promise that to each other. They promise that to us as a, as a group of management and coaching staff. Um, they promise it to their fans and, and they deliver on it. You know, it's really, really good. Whereas in, um, in basketball, and this isn't specific to OKC now, although it was certainly there, there's, um, there's sort of a, a level that they're they're at already, and they they're more trying to maintain that level. Um, so they're they're incredible athletes. They're, they're at a very high level, and that once they're there, there's um, there's this urgency to hold it up, but not necessarily keep on pushing it forward. Um, I think there's like there's a it's, that sounds horrible to say, but it's it's more of an innate thing within that within that environment for those guys. There's definitely young guys pushing through who are really hungry in that basketball scene. But the the overall is we are this high. We need to stay. We need to stay here, and we need to deliver on this. Um, whereas for whereas here at Connacht, there's like we're we're here, and we we want to get better, or we want to be up there. It's it's a bit more of a striving in that way. Um, but both groups are motivated. The, the informational side of things and the support side of things, I think, has been fairly consistent. Um, athletes are athletes. They want to know, you know, where they're at. They, they love getting feedback. They, they love it to be immediate. They want clear goals. Um, you know, and I don't know if you've done any reading or if anyone's done any reading around flow states, but these are some of the major triggers for, for being in the zone and being able to perform is having clear goals, immediate feedback, rich environments, all these sorts of things are, um, are things that push you into flow and they're sort of guiding principles uh, for me in setting up an environment and a program, um, is setting up these things where athletes want to be and they can perform at a higher level um, because they are getting those, those little triggers um, and it, it helps them to achieve a little bit better. So, you know, the... the the cultural differences, I think, are definitely there, but there's a, a consistency in the way that I've approached it, and it seems to have been reasonably effective. <laughs> so you mentioned their leadership groups. I'd just like to do a little bit of a, a bit more digging on on the influence of that that leadership group that you have at Connor and how that helps drive all the things that you've just been mentioning. I know you said about them signing up to a almost like an agreement to the fans themselves to each other to you. But how does that leadership group affect 
and, and help you guys as practitioners keep everyone on the same track and whether it be discipline or it be performance, whatever it may be, what what role do they play? Um, I think there's there's always something in that like in the peer to peer interaction that you're not you're never going to quite get as a as a coach to athlete interaction. Like you get very very close, but there's nothing nothing quite like being checked or pushed by your mate, you know, like by the guy who's beside you. Um, our, our leadership group are incredibly collaborative, um, which is a real strength of, of, of the group of men that we have playing here. Like they're, they're, they are incredibly open to um, criticism, to uh, advice, but they're also very open to, to giving back criticism and advice. And because of that collaboration um, with, that, with that group of guys, it's it's really helped, I think, I, I believe, and from what I've seen uh, and from working with our, our head coach on this and, and the systems that he's brought in this year, I, I think it's really helped push them forward and make them uh, a really robust unit, you know, that in that they've, they've driven some of their own outcomes while also taking on our advice and our, our mentorship in that space. Um, the simple mechanical pieces of that, uh, you know, short meetings with those guys, you know, being able to um, collaborate on what the schedule is going to look like for this week, taking on their their thoughts and, and concerns on that, what what they feel like they're lacking or, or the group is lacking from a, a physical or athletic side for, for us, um, how we can help support their rugby performance and, and stuff like that really just comes back down to having that interaction but also being able to give them some clear objective feedback on where we see them as well. So it's, it's not emotional. There's, they're, they're never like truly emotional meetings. It's more where, where are we seeing, where at, and then how can we help you? How do you feel about that? Here's how we feel about that. What can we do to, to move that forward? But that group of, of guys has been really, um, really, really important, I think, for the team. I don't know whether the leadership group, like having a leadership group, is the answer for, to that. Um, you know, I've seen different teams operate in different ways where they, they might just have a captain. Um, they may have, uh, you know, no leadership group at all, you know, be moving captains, all that sort of stuff. But I think in our context where we are right now um, and, and how we're trying to approach our performances, that leadership group has been really, really valuable. Um, again, comes down to the people that you have in it as well. You know, they're selected by their peers and, and recognised by their peers as leaders and people that they aspired to be like and people they believed could help make them better um, by approaching leadership in that way, like trying to make others better. Um, they've, they've been incredibly successful, I believe. Mm-hmm. I've not worked in rugby, but I've been around plenty of rugby league and rugby union environments. Now, I can imagine that that being a huge part of of the environment itself, that leadership group, and not to play down any other sports, but it just seems that kind of sport and that kind of, them kind of um, like edu- educated guys who are, and there's a massive respect there in rugby, whether it be for each other or for staff or for officials, that's always played up. I can imagine that's been, that, that is a huge part of, of rugby is that whole leadership. Um, yeah. That leadership. Yeah. stuff <laughs> just absolutely. seems to radiate from the sport. Yeah. I mean you, there's a there's a large amount there like where you you've really got to trust 
the 14 other guys that are on the field with you at that point in time in a game, like you got to trust that they're going to do what, what you say you're going to do or what you've agreed to do. Um, and your leaders tend to be the guys who deliver on that consistently. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily that your best players are the leaders. They just, they tend to be really consistent, rock solid guys and, and have a really great approach. But yeah, they're definitely important in that environment. And even, you know, at the level that I played when I did play, that there was always that element of confidence that you drew from those people. And they, do, they help you grow an extra leg, you know. They, they push you at the right time. They challenge you at the right time. And um, that's been a, a really I, – I do, I do. I think it's a really key part to, to rugby union, rugby league and, and, um, and those, sorts of, those sorts of games where it is incredibly collaborative on the field, off the field, the camaraderie that you build – um, you know, the potential for pitfalls as well. Like you get a group of men around, they can do silly things. And when you've got great leaders, they te- just tend to do less silly things. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't do any, they just do less and the severity is much lower. So, um, you know, we, I was uh, I was just talking to Nick down the other, when he was down the other day, he came down to, to spend a bit of time with us and, and do a little bit of CPD with us. And I was saying to him, it's, it's, it's probably the 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 best environment, you know, camaraderie and feeling wise, uh, that I've, I've been involved in is, uh, is Connacht at the moment. And, um, it's really exciting because, uh, I, I don't believe that we've hit our ceiling yet. We've still got so much more to go and, uh, you know, we're in, in a really, really good spot right now. So one thing I wanted to touch on before I let you go, and that was, um, Something that you mentioned last week when we had the chat, and I, I think you say it quite flippantly, but I was I was absolutely delighted when you mentioned it, and it was passing information up the chain, whether that be at Connor or uh, I think you met, the, the context was at Connor, and it was the podcast passing the podcast to to people up the chain, whether it be uh, I can't remember what what job title you gave the person, whether it was a um, someone in some sort of leadership role in the in the kind of back office, but that was great for me, and that 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 came across as if it was quite a common thing. So, I just want to talk to us a little bit about why you do that and how you facilitate that, what benefit that gives you and your department, and just the overall impact that communication can have. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I, um, I actually just shared another one of yours. Uh, yesterday, keep so, it going. Keep um, it going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so we, you know, it sort of goes back to that seat at the table that I was talking about. Um, we uh, we have a real focus in in connect in in having an organ a contribution to the organisation and and our CEO Willie um, Willie Ryan he talks about having that organisational contribution and the more people that are feeding into it. Um, you know, the, the better we'll all be for it. So, you know, our, one of our values is um, is our investment to our community, and that's externally and internally. Um, this is this is going to sound a little bit bad as well, but like if you if you're sensible about it, the people who are going to give you your next job are probably a head coach or a CEO. So it's worthwhile getting to know those guys and finding out what they're interested in and and having those Absolutely. chats. Um, it's actually we we have just a, a WhatsApp group within our uh, within our staff, and it has people from all over our staff, you know, front office and um, and coaching staff and everything, and, and we share bits of information that we might come across. It might be a book or a, a podcast. Um, it might be a, an article that we've found, but we, we share that amongst everyone. Um, and 
you know, it, it, it just sparks another conversation. It, it helps us ask another and better question. Um, I think for me personally, on a, on a philosophical level, it's, it's, it's important to, to always try and make people around you better. Um, you know, that for me, that's sort of the definition of leadership is, is to make other people better. So if I, if I can, if I find a great piece of information or, you know, a, a great perspective on something or even a, a challenging perspective on something, just to be able to share that with the people around me that I'm, I'm going into work with and trying to create something amazing with, you know, I think it's, it's your responsibility to share it. So, um, we do that and, and yeah, the, the pacing performance podcast has been passed around and I've had a CEO listening to it, our, our head of, um, marketing and sales listening to it, you know, oh, head wow, coach. That's cool. Yeah, you know, like we were then, you know, those conversations spark up. So they might come down to the gym, you know, the, the same way that they, they come down and say like, oh, what, what sort of workout have you got for me? You know, we, we have a breakfast club on, on Friday morning that Friendy, our, our head coach, sort of suggested. He said, oh, you know, I really want to do this brekkie club and invite the staff in at, at 7.30 on a Friday morning. So we run a brekkie club and one of those guys might come down and say, or what workout have you got for me today? Why is this going to make me better? In the same sort of way, I'm able to send them information. They come back to me and say, I was thinking about this and I've seen this from this perspective. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? And all of a sudden, those communication gaps, those those lapses in between the the departments, they start to, they, they disappear. You know, they're, they're, all of a sudden, there's communication in place. You're not wondering you know, what has commercial got planned for, for the guys this week? You know, because you've been talking to some guy about uh, about a podcast that you passed him last week and he goes, oh, yeah, by the way, I was just thinking about this. Who do you think would be available at that time? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's you, you know which players are going where and why and um, it just makes it's, – it's one of those sort of social lubricants, if you will. You know, you don't always have to go and get on the pints, although that's fun too. The, uh, <laughs> the, the reality is you can you can pass someone a, a podcast and a bit of info and, and then riff on it while you, while you, you know, you pass them in the, in the hallway and, and have that chat and, and go for it. It was something that uh, – that was actually something I learned at, at OKC and, and with the guys there, they were, they were really, really good at that. You know the coaches. Uh, one one coach, one of the coaches there, Darko, um, awesome guy. But every every other day, he'd be sending me an article or a bit of video or something that he'd heard, and say like, "Hey, Dave, I, I just saw this. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it." You know, um, or you know, what exercise have you got for me here? I was looking at this, and that style of communication, that level of communication, really resonated uh, with me. And um, I guess the people that I'm working with now have really resonated with it as well. And, and uh, it's, um, yeah, it sort of brings us together. It's, it's a cool way to go. Absolutely. So one last thing, and just talking about the people more immediately around you in your department, how do you keep them happy? What do you, what do, you do as a um, head of athletic performance in terms of keeping your guys happy? I don't know whether I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I guess you know, for for me, I I don't ever, I don't. I'm not an autocratic type of person, um, and I don't want to be an autocratic type of leader. So we have three three main things that we focus on in our department. There's three big rocks. Uh, they're in our environment, 
So that's our gym, how are we setting up that space, what music are we listening to, what sort of feedback are we giving, the, the stuff that we talked about in terms of flow triggers. Um, is collaboration. So are we working with all the, di- all the departments around us, every other person and those relationships at a really high level? Can we, can we call on each other to help each other out and call on other people to help out our department when we need it? Can we ask the question? Can we use a couple more bullets that maybe we have? You know, that, that collaboration drives that. And then the, the third thing is innovation, which is really the freedom to take our ideas and turn them into actions. Um, and not just, you know, not just have this idea and feel like you can't share it or don't have the license to, to share it. Um, so one thing I, I encourage uh, all the guys on our team to do is, is innovate, is to, you know, when you see something, you think something, you feel something, share it, try it, evaluate it. Um, and if you need something for it, just ask and I'll, I'll try and resource it. Um, I'm sure I have my moments as well. I'm sure there's those days where they just go, oh, Jesus, what's he doing here now? Just leave us alone. Um, but, um, there's, you know, I, I think where you, where you give guys a, a clear intent, you know, they give them a, a clear goal and at the end of the day it's, it's really simple for us. We want optimal performance on the field. That's, that's our overarching goal. The two parts to that are, our, you know, driving our athletic development and um, keeping our availability really high. Uh, if we can do those two things, then we know we're, we're doing our job well. Anything outside of that, if there's something new or different that they want to do, I, I try and give them that and give them ownership of, of what it is that they're doing. Um, I think that, you know, in, in brutal honesty, the, the thing that I can probably do better is, is more accountability. Uh, you know, I could be a better sounding board for them. I could maybe offer some criticism, but I'm also, you know, I, I speak really highly of, of my guys, you know. My my assistants, uh, Johnny O'Connor and, and Barry O'Brien, like both of them are, are studs, man. They're, they're so good at what they do. And, and then our academy guys, Andy and Michal, they're, they're, they're just they're, they're good operators. They're, they're good practitioners. And because of that, we, um, we're, we're successful. You know, we, we do hit those goals. We have high availabilities and we've got guys pushing their athletic performance higher and higher every day. It's, it's incredible. So, yeah. Uh, I think I, I hope I make them happy by showing them their successes and, and giving them their ownership. But I don't know; they might uh, might give you a call after this and say, "No, <laughs> call bullshit." No, that sounds yeah, good. Absolutely. No, <laughs> oh, they're not trying to call bullshit on me. Don't worry. <laughs> well, thank you, mate. I know you've got you've got a big game tomorrow up in Belfast, so I'm going to um, I'm just going to thank you for your time and 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 jumping online in a hotel um, the day before a game. But where, where can where can people get in touch with you? What's the best place for people to reach out? Um, I don't know, really. I'm pretty pretty clandestine. I, I guess, um, you know, on LinkedIn, I, I sort of have a, a lot of my contacts. You know, you can just look up my name on LinkedIn, uh, on Twitter. I, I can't remember what my Twitter handle is, but uh, it would be nice to get over 100 followers. That would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boys look at me like I'm a dud when, uh, when I talk to them from back in the States. So um, it's my, my shameless plug to catch up. Um, but, yeah, email uh, david.howarth at chronicrugby.ie. Absolutely superb. Well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And it's, it's been great to get you on and uh, another, uh, another great um, person just to chat to, whether it's about the things we've chatted about or it's other stuff like we did last week. And, yeah, it's great to have a chat and, and finally catch up. 
Cheers, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for tuning in to episode 239 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Dave. So big thanks to Dave for giving up his time, um, probably less than 24 hours before a big game. So really appreciate him getting onto hotel Wi-Fi and tuning in and um, getting online and having a little chat with me. So really appreciate Dave's time. Also, big thanks to the guys at ACU and Notre Dame for sponsoring this podcast today. For the guys at Black Box Fitness, I Measure You and Hawking Dynamics as well for making this episode possible. So if you haven't pressed subscribe on your chosen podcast player, make sure you do so right now. So every Thursday morning UK time, there will be a unbelievable practitioner on your phones who can educate you and give their insight into how they do things day to day. So thank you very much for your support and I will chat to you soon.